0: Hi, I'm Moon Unit Zappa, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts.
1: History in five songs with host Martin Popov, a production of Pantheon Podcasts.
0: Let's rock out with Martin. Yes, indeed. Martin Popoff here back with another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff brought to you by the good people at Pantheon Podcast. Pleased as always to be part of this uh, vast and always growing cabal of uh, of music experts doing podcasts over there at Pantheon. Uh, just a shout out to the uh, arrangers of uh, Rockin' Pod. That's coming along nicely. That's, uh, that's coming up uh, in March uh, in Nashville. Um, but yeah, so this is episode 191. I'm calling this bands with outside lyricists, uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about what I think of this. And there's various ways. We're going to get to the end and notice that there are you know various degrees of this. But I wanted this to be the ones that are are really seriously into the business of uh, of being this concept, and definitely all of these uh, fit that bill. But yeah, so you know I've I'm I'm conflicted uh, up and down on this whole thing. I mean I probably could do a whole uh, episode on the whole. Desmond Child, Diane Warren thing, um, Brian Adams and Jim Valance, that whole that whole outside writer cabal thing where they come in and they're kind of parachuted in and they're just doing. Doing kind of hits for these bands and they could be with whatever that's a whole nother thing that's a whole nother complaint these are all examples where I'm not I I feel like I'm not really complaining about what's going on here there's gonna be a bit of that but uh, I'm gonna you know more or less justify what's going going on here so this is and there's not a lot of examples of this Um, you know I did a bunch of research and and um, it's something that happens a lot more uh, early on, where it is more like say the 60s and 50s, where it is about those specific songs, and it's not it's not essentially a a team. Uh, sometimes it works in works out that it's going to turn into a team, but it's it's still more about writing jingles and hits sort of thing, and um, and so it's a little more fragmented. But we do have a few of those in honorable mentions as well. But uh, anyways, take a listen to our first selection here, and we shall discuss. This is Cream with Take It Back.
1: Where streams are red, I want to stay here and sleep in my own bed. Neither your love, long, blonde hair. Don't let them take me, cause I'm easily scared. Take it back, take it back.
0: okay so cream is a is an interesting early example it's probably the first example that you think of in the uh, the album oriented band situation that starts kind of getting pulled together uh in in the wake of garage rock turning into psych where you definitely get these band situations where it's considered you know a, a real sort of uh artistic sort of situation um you know even even the Beatles, kind of belong to that old era but now they're coming into this era as well and of course the Beatles uh, are not really part of this whole thing at all they they kind of essentially write their own songs right Um, but so the interesting thing about Cream they only had the four albums granted there were a lot of covers across these albums there were a few different sort of writing situations but the main thing is is you've got this guy Pete Brown who teams up with Jack Bruce so the bassist vocalist um, and and writes the lyrics for these songs now this guy he had this thing called the first real poetry B- uh, band um so yeah it brought to the attention of cream essentially um, Jack Bruce uh, remarked at one point, he says, Ginger and Pete were at my flat trying to work on a song, but it wasn't happening. My wife, Janet, then got with Ginger and they wrote Sweet Wine while I started working with Pete. So basically, Pete and Bruce together, uh, you know, hits like I Feel Free, White Room, SWLABR, um, and Sunshine of Your Love, which is actually with with uh, Eric Clapton. But Pete Brown... Uh, Comes into this situation as a, as a good lyricist, as as a real sort of poetic kind of guy, um, and joins this this cabal, this this trinity of egos, this power trio, original power trio, and uh, and essentially becomes a you know the full blown and everybody kind of knows about it. He is the lyricist for for these guys, and then what's interesting is later on he goes on uh, to be the lyricist for Jack Bruce as a solo artist as well. Now what do I feel about it? This is a, again uh it's it's a funny situation. I I guess in this situation I I and and in most I do have that, that small little wee bit of negativity, uh, thinking about this, it's like, well, why wasn't Jack Bruce smart enough to write his own lyrics? I mean, that's the thought that comes to mind, right? Uh, when you think of this, but, um, I still feel like this is kind of like a sixties consortium, uh, you know, love in kind of situation where, um, you know, an, an artistic configuration, it almost reminds me of like, um, art collectives you know modern art collectives in New York sort of thing um, so this idea of the lyricist coming in anyways um, this will develop over time and let's go on to our second one which kind of proves this point take a listen to this this is King Crimson with Cat Food <laughs> All right, King Crimson, In the Wake of Poseidon. So the interesting thing here, so we're into the second album here with Cat Food. I, I wanted to pick something pretty immediate because they got some long, stretchy songs and a lot of instrumental passages, of course. But the interesting situation here is Pete Sinfield is writing all their lyrics, essentially. So he's in there. He's literally in there as a band member. He's shown there as a band member. He's also a producer with the band. Um, so he's in there writing lyrics on uh, on the likes of... Uh, this uh he plays a little synth on lizards he's islands he's he's the debut album as well so so he's in there and and what do i think of this situation again it it does feel a little bit like the the um the Pete Brown situation um but it but almost with this band because they're so remarkable and strange and so musical it's almost like there's almost too much work for everybody, and they and they need a lyricist like this. And and King Crimson is almost like, um, you know, talk about that art collective thing. They're they're almost like reforging the way to make a rock band. And, uh, and this is just another weird thing about them to put on top of the five or six other absolutely strange weird things about them. They're kind of inventing prog, kind of inventing kraut rock. They've got woodwind and horns and stuff. Uh, they've got these super long songs, like I say, really instrumental passages, no rules. And this is almost like a, a another version of their no rules situation. And Pete goes on. Uh, to write for ELP, a uh, little bit Roxy Music, PFM, the Italian prog band, right? Uh, he's got his his uh, solo album called Still. Um, Gary Brooker from Procol Harum. And then an interesting thing happens when Pete Sinfield's time is up in the band, you get Richard Palmer James coming in and he becomes the writing partner of John Wetton. So you've got a similar situation where you've got, you know, before you had Pete Brown and Jack Bruce, now you've got John Wetton and uh, Richard Palmer James. And he's in writing on these tough, even more noise terrorist, kind of more aggressive albums with King Crimson as they move into this next phase. He's there on Lark's Tongue in Aspic, uh, Starless and Bible Black, and... And red, um, so yeah, he he becomes the guy that's that's the uh, you know the, the stuff that's going to be coming out of John Wetton's very very cool pushing a lot of air vocals. Uh, this is the guy behind the lyrics at this point. And then of course you know um, King Crimson takes a bunch of time off, and when they come back, Adrian Belew's in the band, so he's a guitarist and singer and frontman, and he's he's now writing the lyrics. But yeah, it's it's again this this kind of weird art collective thing where this is a band that's breaking so many rules. You've got Robert. Frip kind of sitting there, you know, playing guitar, um, and, uh, two drummers at one point and all that sort of stuff later on, even more drummers than two drummers, but, uh, but yeah, so King Crimson's kind of an interesting one, uh, which is, they're actually going to be a little similar to one, uh, we're going to talk about a little further, um, but they're an interesting case where there's kind of like two very distinct, uh, you know, outside lyricists in the band. All right. uh, This episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff is sponsored by BetterHelp. Without a healthy mind, being truly happy and at peace is hard. The good news is therapy works. But what is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. Maybe you're not feeling motivated right now and would like some tools to help. Or maybe you're feeling insecure in relationships or at work, not dealing well with stress. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help better 10% off your first month of professional therapy at betterhelp.com slash five songs. That's better, H-E-L-P slash five songs. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Um, I wanted to add, again, I know I've mentioned this before, um, but there was a nice testimonial that came in at one point um, that said, I want to once again give you feedback on your sponsor, BetterHelp, the therapy I have received in the last month has been better than any I've encountered over the last 30 years. You have a quality, life-changing sponsor. Very cool.
1: Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons...
0: Let's move on to our third selection here. Take a listen to this. This is Blue Oyster Cult with Black Blade.
1: I have this feeling That my luck is none too good This sword here at my side Don't act
0: the way it should Keeps calling me its master But I feel like its slave Hauling me Faster and faster To an early, early grave All right, so this is a really special case. Um, At this point, we've got a band that is writing with a lot of different outside writers. This particular song is with Michael Moorcock. Uh, Eric Bloom is a big fan of... um Big science fiction fan, so Michael Moorcock is a science fiction writer. He does a lot of writing with Hawkwind, uh, but he does this song, and uh, and it's a collaboration. They do some stuff later as well. But um, this whole thing about a science fiction writer, this comes up again when later in their career, they do a lot of lyrics with John Shirley. John Shirley becomes... Probably their most dedicated lyricist, actually. Their most dedicated outside lyricist that matches this King Crimson situation, this Cream situation, and what we're going to talk about moving forward as well. But early on you've got also got Richard Meltzer who comes from that uh, that that rock critic world uh, you've got uh, Sandy Perlman who's their manager and producer now he's the guy who comes up with that whole Imaginos saga so, so there's all these Imaginos lyrics that are sprinkled throughout uh, the albums you've got Patti Smith who's in a relationship with Alan Lanier Patty Smith needs no introduction she's very famous she writes a bunch of songs and also on the woman front you've got Helen Wheels Helen Robbins um, and she writes a few songs with the band as well, most notably Tattoo Vampire. Um, but uh, but yeah, who also uh, David Roeder along the way, um, a buddy of, I guess, more Albert's buddy, right? Um, so he's in there writing um, Unknown Tongue, very cool song. Um, so yeah, so this is a band that you almost feel like, um, again, a little bit like the other ones where you feel like it's a little bit of a big art collective, right? Um, so, so essentially, these guys feel like they're part of the band and part of the whole spooky Blue Oyster Cult mythos that is put together. They're amazing, amazing lyrics. But these guys are so talented that you don't hold it against them. And plus, you almost feel like they could do their own lyrics. And, and you know, granted, some of them do do their own lyrics uh, as as we go along. I, I'd say Donald is po- probably guy most known for doing his own lyrics in the band. But essentially, uh, it, it just feels like... Um, you know the quality that they get out of these people, and the variety that they get out of them, its just this great cabal of writers, as I've often called them. And you know, I—I I was actually going to do this episode, um, and I can't believe I haven't done this. But favorite lyricists of all time—you know, Blur's Shakel is always sort of mentioned uh, in this in this realm when I—I I do absolutely talk about my favorites. Um, so it's—it's it's a funny thing. Um, we're we're kind of doing a panel book right now, a Blur's cult where I'm you know interviewing pan uh, uh, a panel of experts on. Uh, or, and, you know, deep fans on the band, and and it did come up at one point um, about outside writers, and I thought, man, I've never actually really considered Blue Oyster Cult a band with uh, outside writers, it, at least in that super negative sense, right? It, it just always felt like these guys were hanging around, they're buddies of the band, they're, they're you know, so, social actual true relationships with the band, and um, that it that it made perfect sense that they were there. Um, all right, let's move on. Take a listen to our fourth selection here. This is Grateful Dead with Shakedown Street. Okay, so this is definitely one of the bands that's uh, that's known for this. They're one of the most famous bands for this. And you're talking about two writers in, in particular. You're talking about Robert Hunter and John Perry Barlow. Robert Hunter um, actually initially started off kind of in a different configuration, but then it quickly, I mean, I guess he started writing out out, out with Bob. Um, and then um, he, he kind of fell into writing with Jerry, and that's the way it was throughout the career. Legendary, legendary, huge banks of songs. He's essentially um, you know th- their most important uh, lyric writer, great lyric writer. He's done his own albums, of course, um, but he's he's really considered part of the Cabell, part of the band, um, and more more than a lyricist. I think he's he's you know you, you could say he's kind of a poet, right? Um, but essentially. Uh, so he's in there writing a lot of stuff with Jerry, um, and then John Perry Barlow kind of kind of falls in, like I say, with writing a lot with uh, with Bob, and then later on in the career, you you see kind of a shift where there's a lot more songs with uh, John Perry Barlow. Man, that guy has had such a crazy history. Um, But, uh, but yeah, so, so this is a band, uh, kind of an odd situation where you've kind of got, uh, two, uh, main, uh, these outside writers. I mean, what do I think of it here? Again, it's almost like the, the legend is so set in time for these guys to be doing this, um, what am I trying to say? It, it's almost like you can't see the Grateful Dead any other way. Um, it's you know, again, you you just you just think of those rooms full of people and uh, and you, and they're picking the best stuff. And Jerry is such a such a musicologist. He's so into the history of bluegrass and and the blues and all this. And you can tell by how many covers there are on Grateful Dead live albums and Jerry Garcia live albums, studio albums for that matter. Um, and and it's almost like so sometimes you 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 give these people the respect and say they they have their hands full anyways, um, and this is this is great stuff here. Uh, let let's let's use it. You know this this goes back to the Blue Oyster Cult thing uh, again as well, where you know y- you almost feel that um, again you feel like they could come up with their own lyrics, but something gets presented to them and it's better, and so they even put aside this thought that maybe they were going to write their own lyrics, but we have this, this is really good. Let's go with this. So, so it's, it's in a way it's putting aside your ego when you don't write your own lyrics. And, and what you're saying is in essence, the end result, the art is what matters the most. So we need, so we need to essentially, um, you know, use the best stuff. And if I didn't write it, that's fine. Um, and then, you know, something I, I haven't brought up here is is just the strangeness, the idea when you have this situation where it's not the lead singer writing the lyrics. So, so the, you know, the words coming out of the lead singer's mouth are not his thoughts, right? Which is quite, quite odd. So there's a whole subset, and I can get into a bit of that in the Honorable Mentions. But there's this whole weird dynamic of sitting there watching a lead singer up there singing stuff, that that isn't theirs, right? Um, which is kind of odd. So, yeah, I mean, if if it's not an outside writer, like in these special, you know, situations that are that make up this episode, if it's not an outside writer, it usually is the lead singer. But that's another subset, and we'll mention a few of those guys. You know, a few of those bands where it's not the lead singer, but it actually is a performing uh, member of the band. Um, but yeah, um, how did this work? So, uh, so, uh Robert Hunter, uh, he he actually went on and worked with uh, with Bob Dylan as well, and eleven different Jim Lauderdale albums. Uh, so and yeah, like I say, I've I've owned some of his his um, albums, uh, his his own studio albums as well. Um, so he's done a lot, uh, you know, outside of the Grateful Dead, but absolutely, absolutely known for all these great lyrics uh, throughout the Grateful Dead. All right, let's move on to our last selection here. Take a listen to this. This is Max Webster with America's Veins. Oh Okay, so this is uh, this is the example most near and dear to my heart. Pai Dubois, he's a buddy of mine. Um, and uh, I love Max Webster, you know, just an absolutely amazing band. Uh, but this is this is actually would, I, would you say this is the most pronounced version of this yeah so King Crimson we had two you know and yeah Cream didn't make a lot of albums Grateful Dead probably the the most glorious bank of lyrics of anybody doing this situation um, but but with Max Webster so what you have is Pi Dubois wrote most of the band's lyrics Terry Watkinson often would write his own lyrics but Pi worked mostly with Kim Mitchell who's the the main lead singer and the guitarist in the band, of course. And I love his lyrics to death. They're, they're kind of like, um, there's kind of like a, a brightness, a cheeriness, a little bit of a Captain Beefheart to what he does. Um, but, uh, but very poetic, very kind of hippie-ish as well. Um, and just really kind of uh, imagistic lyrics. Um, so so it's it's great that they've got this guy here. And again, it's the same situation. He's he's part of the band. He's there. He's really uh, like he's listed in in all the albums. He's pictured in the albums. Um, he had this very strange uh, sort of predilection for just repeatedly seeing the band live, like he'd go on tour with them and he'd, he'd watch the band every night. So he, he really loved this band um, that he was part of. And he's, you know, arguably he's the most important guy in the band. Now that's a contentious issue, right? Um, you know, I, I do tend to go down this road where I think the lyrics... Uh, the lyrics is the most important thing to me in a band. So, so I, the only thing I can compare lyrics to is you've got lyrics, singing, guitar playing, bass playing, and drumming. Uh, you know, maybe keyboards kind of thing. So I, I put it in there with with those those parts of a band, and uh, you know, songwriting. Sorry too, as as well, right? So the so the musical songwriting. So. Um, but that's a nebulous one. That's, that's a little bit hard to sort of, well, I mean, it's not. Um, but still, I, I believe that, um, the lyrics are the most important part of, of a record of an album to me. Um, so I, I love it when the lyrics are amazing and I, I think it's really cool. And, and so I guess one extra thing, I, I'm just just coming to my mind, but I guess another uh, thing I'm trying to say here is that, um, when the lyrics are so good and so plentiful, um, it's really cool. Like you like you now really have way more respect for that guy as part of the band sort of thing. Um, and Pi absolutely is a, is a huge part of Max Webster. Uh, so America's Veins, that was from High Class and Borrowed Shoes. But you've got you know the debut, this one, Mutiny Up My Sleeve, Million Vacations is my favorite. Um, and then another cool thing about Pi... Is that he goes on to be Kim Mitchell's lyricist in his solo career? So up here in Canada, they had all kinds of massive hits. Um, you know, they they've got double. I think he's got one four times platinum album, but the Rockland album, "Shaken Like a Human Being," "A Kimbo a Logo." He's the lyricist throughout that stuff as well, and of course, um, he's the lyricist on. I think it's uh, boy. I always get this number. I always have to think about this. He's he's co-lyricist on is it five Rush songs? But the main, the main one is Tom Sawyer. So he's the co-lyricist on Tom Sawyer. I won't go into that whole story, but I talked to, I've talked to Neil about Pi and I've talked to Pi about working with Neil and how it all works. And I've been working on kind of putting together Pi's poetry and I can see how much editing has to be done and how much you have to make your own decisions in working on Pi's stuff. And, uh, and that's essentially what Neil told me as well. And Kim's told me that too, that, that, you know, you have to really edit, uh, what he's doing there. Um, so yeah, so there you go. Uh, these are these are the main examples I can think of. I mean, there. Well, I'm going to tell you a couple more main examples in my honorable mentions, but I'm just not big fans of some of these bands. But um, so so the other the other biggest examples of this, we're moving into our honorable mentions now. One of the massive, massive, massive ones is Elton John and Bernie Taupin, um, Meatloaf and Jim Steinman. Jim Steinman also wrote for Bonnie Tyler. Uh, and others Uh, Sabotage is a big one so Sabotage early on John Oliver the, the singer um, you know, wrote, uh, wrote the lyrics essentially. Um, but then Paul O'Neill manager, conceptualizer, trans Siberian orchestra, all that great talent. We lost him a little while ago. He, uh, he is essentially uh, listed as co-lyricist with John on, on all that later sabotage stuff when they got a little more cinematic and, and progressive. So that's a big one. Another massive one is, uh, Procol Harum, right? Uh, Keith Reed, um, Keith Stewart Brian Reed um, wrote every single lyric of theirs, uh, I believe, uh, except anything that might have been a cover. Uh, but but he he is in there as, as uh, you know he's shown in band photos. He's listed as a band member. So so those are your those are your massive ones uh, in terms of ones that I I didn't include here because of what I wanted to play right. Um, but uh, but essentially. Um, Yeah, those are the big examples. You've got Abba's manager Stig Anderson uh, getting a lot of credits up through '77 uh, on uh, definitely on a bunch of their hits as well. And then you've got Boyce and Hart for the Monkees. You've got some complicated Beach Boys stuff going on. But again, we're going back to the '60s where um, where it's a little different. Um, You know, these things aren't really considered. you know, absolutely full-on bands. Another big one, actually, is Betty Thatcher of Renaissance. So, so Renaissance again wrote every lyric, pretty much. Seven albums. Um, we lost her in uh, 2011. So, Renaissance is kind of like a folky proggy band. Um, so that's uh, that's an interesting case. Uh, let's see, F- uh, Felice and Budlo Bryant, uh, primary songwriters for the Everly Brothers. We've got Shel Silverstein. Uh, wrote all of the Doctor Hook songs. That I didn't. I didn't check that one. I didn't check the credits of that. But yeah, apparently, um, you know, all the Doctor Hook songs are written by this guy. I remember seeing his stuff or his name. He's kind of a famous dude on his own, right? Um, and then another subset, as I was going to say, um, another subset of this situation is is these guys who write a lot of lyrics in a band, but they're not the lead singer of the band, or or even indeed, uh, you know, a primary music writer. And uh, famously, you've got Neil Peart drummer for Rush, writing the lyrics, so that's coming out of Getty's mouth, but you never, you, you know, this is again, another of these magical situations, where um, they collaborate, and they're so close, these guys, so close in philosophy, and and, uh, and their thoughts on the world, there's only three guys in the band, it was a stable lineup throughout, right, um, and, um and and you also feel that Getty's a guy who could write his own lyrics if he wanted to. They just happen to have this great lyricist. So that, that's what it feels like in in all of these. It's like we have an embarrassment of riches. Um, I could write my own lyrics, but I don't really ha- have to, right? Herman Rarebell, right, the, the you know, the most, the best English-speaking band in the Scorpions, drummer for the band, wrote a lot of their iconic lyrics. Nikki Six and Motley Crue writes a lot of the songs, top to bottom. So Vince Neil, they're coming out of Vince's mouth. Uh, not, not that good these days, of course. Um, uh, but uh, but yeah, so Nikki, um, another famous example of this is Geezer Butler in Black Sabbath. So he's the bass player, but Ozzy's singing. Uh, Nikki Wire, Manic Street Preachers, uh, bassist and lyricist. Um Guitarist Richie Edwards uh, in in the band, uh, you know he he would have written a lot of them. Tony Clarkin and Magnum is another one like this. Uh, Horse Lips, remember those guys? I remember <laughs> I remember getting those albums. Uh, that was that was a band you risked on because they actually looked heavy because they were these hairy looking dudes, right? Uh, but it was actually kind of a folky proggy band, right? But anyways, uh, they had um, they had a non singing drummer, Eamon Carr. Eamon Carr wrote the majority of their lyrics. Pete Wentz, apparently, I don't know anything about Fallout Boy, but Pete Wentz, bassist and lyricist. Um, Generation X, Tony James, bass player, was the lyricist, and Billy Idol, the singer, wrote, uh, and he wrote the music, which is, which is an odd sort of setup, right? And then it's funny, I, I was thinking, I, I noticed one example of the subset of uh, having the wife, you know, the wife of the band member. So Kathleen Brennan, um, working with Tom Waits. Um, in Blue Oyster Cult, you've got Donald's wife, and you've got Albert's wife's or wife or girlfriend, um, you know, writing lyrics with the band. You've got Polly Sampson, David Gilmore situation, right, um, writing in later Pink Floyd. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a little subset, you know, maybe, maybe there is an entire episode of that. Um, and then, yeah, uh, you know, maybe, maybe at some point I should address this whole outside writer thing when there's, at least when there's a pretty large relationship, like the whole Paul Stanley Desmond Child thing, um, you know Jim Jim uh, Valance Valance uh, Brian Adams right that whole thing um, and a bunch of these you know where there's where there's a trend that you see one writer working a lot you know Blueyster Cults a really fascinating band they're 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 almost like the Beatles to me in that in that you can talk about them in examples of a lot of things but they famously had. Um, You know, albums later on, you know, mostly you would say Revolution by Night and Club Ninja where it fell into that outside writer situation where they felt kind of like strangers. This isn't part of the cabal. So you see in that band, you see both... The examples of this episode, albeit more fragmented than the other four examples, but you also see the you know that kind of outside writer situation. So, uh, so there you go. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I think uh, I think we picked the best examples, and we found most of the massive ones for the honorable mentions as well. And I, I guess we're learning that there's there's not really much more than 10, 10 of these situations. I mean, let us know on the uh, on the Facebook situation uh, if if we've left anybody out. But I think we've kind of caught them all. Um, and if you like this show and want to support future episodes, please go to kofi rhymes with no fee.com uh, slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button, buy me a coffee or a pint. Uh, this week, I would like to thank Brian Bailich, Lee Clifford, Stephen Deluxe, Tim Derling, David Fisher, Mike LeBrain, Monty Olson, Augustin Garcia de Paredes, Steve Polari, David Ria, Dan Rosenson, Brian Sager, David Shoemaker, Dan Spoker uh, John Stuckey, and Fetty Vidalis. Uh, so thank you all very much. I. As usual, you know, I've got uh, I've written a bunch of books. You can go to martinpopoff.com to see any of those that are in print. Uh, but right now, uh, the latest ones are the Bowie. I'm going to have the ACDC at 50 uh, shortly. Um, that may even show up uh, this week. Uh, ah, probably not this week. Uh, but that would be uh, really nice to have come in. The Pink Floyd currently is completely out of print, out of stock. Uh, it, it was out of stock even before the release date. Uh, but there's going to be more of those in May. Um but I probably shouldn't be talking about dates and stuff. I, I keep forgetting that with these podcast episodes, right? Uh, anyways, there you go. Go play some of this stuff. Go play some Max Webster. There's some uh, There's some good homework for you. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at
1: www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase. On iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the R N R A P. We are on Instagram at R N R Archaeology. Tweet us at R N R Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.